go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, September the 16th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're continuing our series on what CFW Walther did in lectures for over a year on how to read and apply the Bible properly, law and gospel. We're going to be taking a look at thesis number 11. Uh, here's a question I would ask you. You know you need to give the law to somebody. When do you give the gospel? Do you give the law to those who need to hear it, but when do you give the comfort of the gospel? Do you do so when the people are contrite over their sin because they love God? Or do you give the gospel because they hate God? Which one do you do? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And as is the custom of CFW Walther, we're taking a look at his 22nd evening lecture that occurred on March the 13th, 1885. And he always has a little introduction before he gets into the actual thesis. He says, there are more believing theologians today when I was young some 50 years ago. And he's talking about, of course, when he was overseas and had to participate in the Prussian Union, which meant that the government leaders insisted that the Lutherans worship with the Reformed, even though they disagreed on the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And it led many Lutherans to come over to North America to escape that kind of a persecution. He said, back then, there were a small number of believers who were theologians and were tolerated. Why were they tolerated? Because they behaved and kept quiet, made the serious attempt to confess their faith, and above all, did not passionately oppose the forces of unbelief because there were definitely repercussions if they did that. So he talks about that there was a rehabilitation against vulgar rationalism. What does that mean? Vulgar rationalism tried to explain the Bible. In fact, they began by watering down the authority of the Bible and maintaining that it only contained God's word. Uh, that was something that I was taught at the seminary under what became Seminex, that you could not read every part of the Bible and think that it was God's word because a lot of miracles really didn't take place the way they occurred and a lot of things that Jesus said were made up by the disciples. So a careful observer was barely helped to get the impression that these theologians over in Prussia arrived at their faith by rational speculation and turned the Christian religion into a religious philosophy. 
Now, that's kind of happening today. I mean, if you ask people whether or not they believe in God, uh, many times they will say, yes, I believe in God. But then when you ask them what kind of God they believe in, they believe in a legalistic God. They kind of believe in karma. What you get is what you deserve. And that is not Christianity. Because if you got what you deserved, you would end up in eternal hell. No, instead, we don't have a God of justice giving you what you deserve. We have a God of grace who gives you what you do not deserve. So modern theology at the time of Luther pretended to be a system of faith, but it really wishes to be a system of science. What does that mean? Modern theologians, this is a quote from Walther, modern theologians propose that they are able to prove as absolute truth what the common people merely believe. Now, we have individuals who are into what's called evidential apologetics, and they're trying to prove the truths of the Bible. Now, they, they say this doesn't lead anyone to faith, but it gets rid of certain objections that people have in regard to the Bible. I have never had anybody in my confirmation classes end up coming to faith because I was able to prove to them something from the Bible. They came to faith because they heard law and gospel. Now, as Seminex did, they treat a lot of things in the Bible, Walther says, as though they were fables of Aesop. Uh, a lot of times you hear, for example, they're talking about Genesis 1 and the creation of the world. And they say things like, well, the Bible isn't a book of science. And this is a myth about Adam and Eve. I was taught that at the seminary. There was a professor who said, and God chose two monkeys and called one Adam and one Eve. Uh, that's found in the transcript of when they question the professors uh, prior to removing them from the seminary. Accordingly, when somebody becomes prominent in this new field of science, he is also immediately awarded a doctorate of theology, and science and learning were identical with theology. I mean, how many times have you heard pastors say, well, I know what the Bible says about six-day, 24-hour creation, but because the Bible isn't a book of science, we need to take that as a myth, and it is Probably the way that God created the world was through evolution. Boy, that's so sad that they don't believe God's holy word. Walther ends his introduction by saying, there is only one way to faith, and that is that we need to look to the word of God to provide the necessary foundation 
for that faith. If not, we could end up with a horrible mingling of law and gospel. Now, with that introduction, he does thesis 11. You are rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God. I'm sorry, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you only want to comfort those with the gospel who are contrite, that means repentant, because they love God. You also need to comfort people with the gospel who are only contrite because they fear his wrath and punishment. Wow, this is really important. But it is so obvious from a law and gospel point of view. Because if you're talking to an unbeliever and you're waiting for them to be sorry for their sins because they love God, that means they first must have faith because nobody can love the true God apart from faith. So this is really an important thing about when do you give the gospel? The papists, and when he says the word papists, he's talking about the official teaching of the Pope and the councils, like the Council of Trent. Uh, there, there's a lot of Roman Catholics that do not believe what the Council of Trent says. I, I've already mentioned about that. I will be talking in adult instruction, and you have some Roman Catholics there thinking of becoming Lutheran. And I ask them, well, you've heard me say that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Now, do you believe, I'm talking to the Roman Catholics, that because I said that, I should be anathematized? that is sent to hell. And I've never had a Roman Catholic say, yes, you should be, even though that is what their official teaching says of the Council of Trent. So what is the point that Thesis 11 is making? The point it's making is what is proper repentance? He begins by showing that the law has only one single function. Now, people in the world, they do not believe that. They believe that the law may have the function of showing you're a sinner, but it also has the function of telling you what to do in order to be saved. But the, the law's only single function has no power to renew people, to save them. That power is vested solely in the gospel. Only faith is active in love. Repentance is not. This is really important to understand. An unconverted person who claims to love God is stating falsehood, is guilty of miserable hypocrisy, even though he may not be aware of it. 
to demand from a sinner, an unbelieving sinner, that he must be alarmed because of his sins and he must feel sorry for them out of a love of God. That's a terrible way, Walther says, of turning law and gospel completely backward. You see, the Bible is clear. Jesus receives sinners. Now, what does that mean? Walther says, therefore, there's no need for you to change your behavior. There is no need for you to cleanse yourself. And there is no need for you to improve yourself before you come to Jesus. Just think of the parable of the lost sheep. What did the lost sheep do to improve or cleanse itself? It didn't do anything. Jesus came, found the lost sheep. The lost sheep only knew that it was lost, put it on his shoulders, and carried it home. Now, there's Bible verses to back this up. Romans 3.20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law never produces love but the knowledge of sin. In fact, Romans 5.20 says the law increases sin. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, that's interesting. How does the law increase sin? It's because of our sinful nature. We hate to be told what to do. We, we've been talking about two-year-olds, how hard they are to control. You tell them not to do something, they start wailing and crying, and they're definitely taking it out on you, uh, the parent. But in time, they learn what the will of the parent is and can obey it. Forcefully, we are to preach the law to an unbelieving person and let the law strike his conscience with lightning force, and the person will become worse. He will begin to rear up against God and say, what, I'm going to hell? I know that I am an enemy of God. It's not my fault. I can't help it. I mean, how many times have you heard immoral people living an immoral lifestyle say, well, that's the way I was born. And therefore, if I was born that way, God is not against my lifestyle. Well, that's ridiculous because Adam and Eve were created by God and they sinned. God did not like their lifestyle. So Romans 4.15 is clear. The law brings wrath. It actually stirs up people, Walther says, to burn with wrath against God. It doesn't create love for God. 
Look at Cain and Abel. God was displeased with Cain's sacrifices. So Cain took revenge against God by killing Abel. Now, it's clear from Romans 7, verses 7 and 8, is the law therefore sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So a preaching of the law is important so a person comes to recognize their sinfulness. In other words, he even quotes a pagan individual named Ovid, O-V-I-D. Here's what he says. We strive after the forbidden thing and always lust of those things that are denied us. Walther says, even a heathen can figure that out. Galatians 3.21, it's really good. If a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But 2 Corinthians 3.6, the letter, which of course is the law, kills. The spirit gives life. In other, one, in other words, when the law attacks you, all of the laws show that contrition does not flow from a love for God. Rather, it flows from the law, but it makes you hate God. For example, and Walter gives three examples. The first one is the Feast of Pentecost. After hearing Peter's sermon, it says they were cut to the heart. They were really worried. They were frightened by God. And with terror, they cried out, what shall we do? The apostle Peter didn't say, well, we need to investigate the quality of your repentance whether it is flowing from love for God or from fear of punishment that you deserve for your sins. No, there isn't one word of this at all. The people are fearing punishment. So the apostle says, repent and be baptized. Then he has the example of the jailer at Philippi, who, after he hears the prisoners after the earthquake, did not escape. He had heard the hymns sung, and he says to Paul, now what must I do to be saved? Paul does not say to him, first you must show contrition as proof that you love God. No, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Notice, the jailer still doesn't love God. He's really afraid of God. And then the third example is the Apostle Paul. He had that same experience on the road to Damascus. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, on the road to Damascus. So Paul says to the seminarians, when you preach, 
Do not be stingy with the gospel. Don't wait until people are repentant because they love God. But when they are terrified by the wrath of God and they are fearful of hell and they do not love God, then you are fully prepared to deliver the gospel. Now, this goes against human reason. And, and once more, it goes against evidential apologetics that wants to use reason. A person cannot make themselves sorrowful. There is not in the whole world one person who can produce contrition in himself of a right nature. A person who wants to make himself sorrowful wants to drag himself down more and more. But a person suffering from the right kind of sorrow strongly desires to be rid of it. You go to the doctor and he says, well, you have terminal cancer. You don't love the doctor, but you're really asking him, is there no treatment? And you are looking for that treatment. But the Roman Catholic Church teaches that proper repentance results in what? In love of God. Now, Walter has a number of quotations from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which means the defense of what Lutherans believe. And it says that the law does nothing but accuse the conscience. It commands people what to do and therefore terrifies them. That's all the law can do. Walther then goes into a very interesting analysis of Martin Luther himself. Remember, prior to coming to the proper knowledge of the gospel, Luther tried to do everything in order to show God that he was repentant. He beat himself, etc. But really what scared him is a misreading of the book of Romans that talked about the righteousness of God. He thought when it talked about that, that he had to be righteous as God was. And so he says, this is Luther, although I was leading the life of a holy and blameless monk, I discovered in the sight of God, I was a great sinner. Moreover, my conscience was troubled and distressed. He would say, what does God care whether I am lying on a sack of straw or on a couch of velvet and satin? Luther confessed, for this reason, I did not at all love this righteous and angry God who punishes sinners. Rather, I hated him and was full of secret anger toward him. You see, Luther did not have a 
clue, Walther says, concerning the sweet consolation of the gospel. But today, even children who are confirmed knows that when the text talks about the righteousness of God that is required of us in the law, it's not referring to the righteousness that God is like that we need to be. It refers to the righteousness of Christ that God wants to give us. The gospel reveals the righteousness that is valid in the sight of God and through which God, out of grace and pure mercy, makes us righteous by faith is called passive righteousness. It's not something we do. And when Luther recognized the gift from God, he said, at that point immediately, I felt that I had been born again and had found a door wide open, leaving straight to paradise. And so the beginning of this particular thesis is repentance is sorrow over sin and hatred towards God. That's proper repentance. And then when the gospel is heard, which talks about the love of God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit creates faith. We'll continue with this thesis next week. Tomorrow, I'll be with Wes Reimitz talking about an issue. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.